my counselor within my first week of class told me to just stop worrying about spelling and write. Just write, and then we will deal with the spelling later. And I literally woke up in the middle of the night, you know, after that conversation and wrote my first poem. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I've been, I've been really thinking through recently is how I think so many of us are waiting for someone to sort of give us permission to be our whole selves. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. My guest today is poet, advocate, and motivational speaker, Laderic Horn. As a child, Laderic could not read or even recognize the alphabet. He was labeled neurologically impaired and placed in segregated special education classrooms. But somehow he refused to take this message to heart and instead decided he had something important to offer the world. Now, Lederick is a performance poet and uses his gifts for the spoken word combined with his personal experiences as an advocate for people with hidden disabilities. He regularly addresses academic, government, social, and business groups across the U.S., and actively participates in several organizations and boards in the education and advocacy space. He's also the co-author of the book, Empowering Students with Hidden Disabilities, A Path to Pride and Success. In our conversation, Lederick shares his journey from special education to college, the pivotal moment when he decided to become a poet and activist, and what his advocacy work means to him and the impact he hopes to have on the world. He also gives a powerful recitation of his poem, Until Every Barrier Falls, written to celebrate the beauty, strength, and diversity of the disability community and his place within that community. Before I get to my conversation with Lederick, this is my last new episode for a few weeks. I will be back with new episodes the first week of October. But in the meantime, I am busy interviewing this month some wonderful guests for the next season. And I just have to say, we are going to be getting into some great topics like Special Considerations for Differently Wired Students this fall, Vision Screenings and Learning Disabilities, Non-Binary, Trans, and Gender Non-Conforming Kids, Legal Rights, Being Black and Gifted, Teaching 2E Kids, The Autism Industrial Complex, and much more. I can't wait to share it all with you. In the meantime, if you are missing the show, I encourage you to take the next few weeks to catch up on episodes from our library. It goes back five years, more than five years. So the easiest way to find the topics you're looking for is to go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select a category such as ADHD or homeschooling or expert interviews. There are a number of categories on that page. You can also just fill in a search term in the search bar and see what comes up. And now I'm going to get to my conversation with Ladera Korn. And again, be sure to listen all the way to the end for that powerful performance of his really incredible poem, Until Every Barrier Falls. I absolutely loved having the opportunity to talk with Ladera. I hope you enjoy listening in. Hey, Ladera, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Debbie, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And 
to just really make sure that my listeners are aware of the work that you do in the world. Some of them may have heard you um, speak at a summit or maybe a conference, but I would love if you could just start this episode by sharing a little bit about your story. Tell us um, a bit about how you came to be doing the advocacy work that you do and who you are in the world. Sure. So I'm a advocate for people with disabilities. My work primarily focuses in on uh, education reform. Uh, I am really well known as a performance poet, and poetry has a a key role in all the work that I do. I'm the co-author of the book, Empowering Students with Hidden Disabilities, A Path to Pride and Success. And I come to this work because I'm also a person who uh, is dyslexic and learns differently. And um, I was first diagnosed when I was nine years old. Um, I'm from New Jersey, so uh, my school district when I was nine, recommended me being placed in a special education classroom. Um, and it was a less than ideal setting. You know, it was a very segregated setting. I spent three and a half years at a classroom at the end of the hall. Um, one of my saving graces was that I, I had a remarkable teacher, though. And um, her and, and our teacher's aide really invested a lot in all the students who were in that classroom. Um, Got to the point where I was in high school, uh, still on an IEP, still in special ed, terrified about what graduation was going to be and what was going to be available for me after that. And so I was about uh, maybe 17 years old, my junior year, and fell into just a very, very deep depression. Um, And I am fortunately someone who's very resilient. And so even in that dark space, I used it as an opportunity to rebuild and redefine who I was. And I came out of that just determined that I was going to have a great future. And so I started talking seriously about wanting to go to college, started out at a local county college, was a part of a great support program for students with learning disabilities, taught me how my mind works, started using accommodations, all the great things that we know worked um, in order to empower people. Transferred with a 3.75 GPA, uh, got a degree in mathematics from New Jersey City University. Um, and my last semester there, I got sort of recruited by the New Jersey Department of Education's Office of Special Education and um, was asked to begin doing work with the state to empower young people who are in special education here. Um, and so that was sort of uh, one of the real core beginnings of, of my advocacy work. I stayed here in the state of New Jersey for two years and then began connecting with organizations and agencies all over the U.S. So one of the first groups that I started working with was NASD, the National Association of State Directors of Special Education. Um, And then I've formed relationships with Department of Educations all over the the U.S., work locally, a lot of teacher trainings. And then I've, I've been fortunate that the work has also taken me outside of the U.S. Wow, what a story. And thank you for sharing that. I recently talked with Jonathan Mooney, um, who I, you know, I know that you've been very involved with the eye to eye. Um, David Flink is a friend of the podcast. And what I hear in all of your stories, first of all, is a teacher. There's always a teacher who plays such a significant role in one's life to help, especially when a child is being given the message through society or the systems that they are not good enough, not smart enough, there's something wrong with them. And I'm wondering, you said that you are a naturally resilient person. Do you, you know, do you feel that that's kind of how you're wired? I'm, I, I'd love to know a little bit more about that because I think that is something we as parents who have kids that we want to see be able to make that leap of self-advocacy and just knowing that there's so much more 
to who they are, that their label doesn't define them. Is there anything you can share more about that realization for you? Yeah, so I, I, I took that opportunity to sort of clear out my schedule, right? I was uh, the captain of our cross-country team. I quit the cross-country team. I spent every moment I could in our school library. And in that library, I had these two great librarians, and I sort of came to them in a moment of crisis, asking very, very large questions about, you know, like sort of who am I? Where do I fit in the world? And I, I was fortunate that they were able to sort of steer me towards some, some pretty important ideas, right? I remember digging into Einstein really deep, just trying to figure out how the world worked. Um, and I remember from Einstein getting this appreciation for the, the value of point of view, for, for, for perspective, that if you could observe certain phenomenon from different point of view, they would appear differently. And I remember thinking that, well, maybe the reason why my future seems so bleak is because I'm looking at it from a negative perspective. Um, during that time period, I also uh, remember uh, a lot of Nietzsche, you know, and uh, reading the Buddha's first sermon for the first time and reflections on on suffering and, you know, how so many of our decisions sort of can relate to how much pain we're in. Um, and there was also a lot of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and um, the idea that uh, society doesn't always get it right as far as uh, its ability to define people and their value. And, and I was also very fortunate that, um, you know, I grew up in a family that had a strong connection in the civil rights movement. And so I think I, all that gave me permission to be able to redefine who I was. So I, I think that there's, a, there's value in, in teaching our young people um, that they can define who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, whether it be your your doctor or, you know, or if the educators around you aren't all that positive, right, you can take that upon yourself to be who you want to be. Um, and so that's a, a lot of the work that happened during that time for me. Mm-hmm. I love all your different explorations. Uh, I have a 16-year-old who went through a Nietzsche phase yeah. as the shirt. I am dynamite. I love it when he wears that. Cause I'm like, you are showing up today. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think this is so interesting to hear too, just as we are at a time where identity is, is something that we're talking a lot about. And, and especially kids, I feel like more than ever before kids are encouraged to explore their identity from all different angles And they're doing that in a really cool way. Like they're more empowered than ever before. So it's really interesting to hear your journey. Yeah. And it's, I, it's an amazing time to be alive, you know, and I, if I'm honest, I think I'm still on that path of self exploration and self definition. Um, And I, I really make a point to follow, you know, what, what all the young people are doing, (laughs) right. Um, And taking a lead from, from many of the young activists and advocates who are, who are doing work now. They move fast too. They do. They're not waiting for anybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to hear more about your work as an advocate. And I, I feel like I understand your why for doing that work, but I'd love to know where, what really drives you and what you really love about working in that space. Well, I, I love collaboration, both as an advocate and as an artist. And you know, some of the more longstanding work that I've done has been in collaboration with um, education leaders. You know, so the, one of the first things that comes to mind is that 
I want to say for maybe 13 years, I've been working with the state of Nevada's Department of Education. Um, they have an incre- incredible initiative there um, where they do a summit, the, um, the Nevada Student Leader Transition Summit. And um, the initiative initially began from a director from their state department, their state director of special education, wanting to hear directly from young people who were in special ed about the quality of the work that they were doing. And so uh, I remember, uh, you know, in our first first few years, just sort of sitting in a room with a whiteboard and just talking to these young people, you know, and, and getting direction from them. And what was amazing is that the state really took their input seriously. And what it has developed in into over the years is that, you know, we've been able to build a strong capacity uh, for student leaders within the within the state. Um, and so uh, more recently, the state has hired, I think, about 25 of those young people to now go back into their old high schools. And they are directing teams of young folks on IEPs on how to run their own IEP meetings. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, there's really da- a lot of data out there around how giving someone that agency while they're still young um, can really help lead to, to positive uh, post-secondary outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's, that's one of the things that, um, that I'm really proud of. You know, through the book that I, that I co-authored, we've been able to uh, influence, again, a lot of educators, transition specialists, education leaders on the importance of identity. Right. And, and making sure that we give our young people the experiences so that they develop a positive identity um, as students who might learn differently. And then uh, overseas, I've been I've been honored to work with an amazing uh, school leader, uh, Nancy Munye in Kenya. And Nancy has started a, a school, the Rare Gym Talent School, which is a boarding school for students with learning challenges um, and uh, began in a home. And now she's running a uh, an old motel and the first floor is classrooms. And then there's, um, you know, places for the students to live on the second floor. And we've been working together to uh, purchase a piece of land so she can build a proper school uh, with the capacity to serve about a f- about 500 students. Um, so that's that's some of the work that I'm, I've been involved in. That is so exciting. I, I have a friend who runs a program, I believe, also in Kenya called Kupenda, and it is helping to educate kids, not just with learning disabilities, but with physical disabilities. And I know that there's so much stigma and it's, and it's harder um, to get these kids the education and the chance that they deserve to really realize their potential. Yeah. Yeah. The, the um, I think a lot of the work beyond direct education to students that um, the folks at Rare Gym are doing is still just building awareness. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if we, we realize the privilege that we have here in the U.S. post the disability rights movement and all the legislation that was created coming out of that and the degree of awareness that we have. Um, there's still a lot, a lot of work that still needs to be done. But in other places in the world that I've that I've worked, I mean, there's still just a lot of um, awareness building around what ADHD is, what dyslexia is. Um, I think that many folks have a sense when it comes to uh, sort of lower incidence disabilities um, about what those are and how to provide supports. But mm-hmm. for folks like me, it's just sort of, you know, work harder. And for many of us, we fall we fall through the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. And having lived in Europe for a number of years, you know, great education system in so many ways and behind in many ways from where we are in the U.S. So I, I spoke at a medical conference in France uh, that an association 
that does work around uh, ADHD and, and just the sort of hoops that people had to jump through to get medication. You know, I, I was not aware of, of those degrees of challenges, you know, in, in Europe. So, yeah, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done all over the world. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. I think one of the most viral articles that had been posted on Psychology Today was entitled, Why French Kids Don't Have ADHD. Mm, Of course, that was, you know, rebutted, disputed. Eventually, not not as many people read the follow-up article, of course, you know, right. but that's just how it goes. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about just the, the education reform work. And I'm just curious, when you work with educators and with teachers and trying to make these changes, is there a lot of resistance? Do you find that systems are are open to feedback and, and wanting to do the, the hard work to make 
deeper, meaningful changes within the way that they run their schools? Yeah, I, I find that the people are very, very open. Um, and particularly to hear the information come from someone who's who has lived experience. You know, I oftentimes, you know, before I do a teacher in service and I'm going to be sitting there with folks for for four hours, I have to let them know, like, this will not be boring. Like, I know that <laughs> that you maybe uh, have had the experience of coming to these sort of events and, you know, using it as a time to read the newspaper or check your email. But um, I promise you, we're going to be very engaged. And sometimes I do the Babe Ruth, you know, I like point at the fences and say, I can promise you that um, someone will walk out of here and say that this was one of the most profound trainings that you've ever been a part of in your in your career. And again, I think a lot of it comes from me approaching this work as someone who has the lived experience. Uh, I have tremendous value in research. And um, I think part of my role is being able to share all that really quality research um, that's out there and doesn't make it to the the practitioners who are actively in the field. Um, But I'm also a storyteller and I'm an artist. And I I think uh, all of that makes for a very engaging way to be able to present this information. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge, though, is that we still live in a very siloed education system. So if I'm asked to come by, say, a director of special education, oftentimes they're going to put me in a room with all special educators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what I really get excited about are the opportunities where I get to talk to the entire school. Um, all the students, you know, all the educators, um, because we still, you know, even uh, in the 21st century, even at a time where uh, we really push the creation of more inclusive schools, we still, you know, have teacher education programs where regular ed, you know, folks just don't learn that much about being able to provide um, a quality education for diverse learners. Um, so, what I wish there was more uh, of an opportunity for would be to be able to talk to everyone, you know? And so that's one of the things that I always push, like, Hey, you can get me, get me, just get me in front of everyone, you know, cause you're, you're all the same, a part of the same school. Yes. I, as someone who speaks as well, I find that all the time uh, it's hard to get in front of the entire school and it is the entire school's responsibility, the entire parent student body. It's, it's everyone's responsibility to shift these paradigms. Um, but it is tricky or it's difficult to kind of advocate to get in front of those audiences. I want to talk about your work as a poet and your creative work. When I just have one more question about the, the education reform work. And I'm, I'm wondering where you see the biggest sense of urgency right now? Or what is kind of the biggest um, thing that you're pushing for in terms of where we are on our journey? Where do you see the most energy? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it does. So I'm the vice chair on the board of directors for the New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. And uh, we've just begun to start doing work outside of New Jersey. Um, So I, I think being able to one, recognize what we were talking about earlier, that uh, many of our educators still need support in being able to work with all students. And then um, not just sort of throwing our hands up and saying, oh, well, but providing them the sort of coaching that they need um, so that we can have more inclusive inclusive schools. You know, I have the, 
the experience of uh, growing up and being mainstreamed, right? So spending a lot of time in that self-contained special ed classroom and then someone saying, you know, why don't you go out and try to to perform in a, in a regular ed math class and just not even treading water, you know, just being there for a while and not knowing what was going on and not having a teacher that really knew what go- was going on. And, you know, and it's, it's a no win situation for anyone, right? The mm-hmm. teacher hadn't been prepared. I hadn't been prepared. It was just sort of like go in and try. Um, so I'm, I'm working with the New Jersey coalition for inclusive education because they do that direct coaching, that direct support for school leaders and in-class educators um, to supplement and, and support uh, their their education, their training, so that we can really build inclusive schools, really build them out. So I, I, that's one of the things that I'm I'm really focused on. the The other one is is uh, outside of education is that I think we we still need to do much more work to make sure that our workplaces are uh, inclusive of all people. I think sort of coming out of 2020. And um, the challenges that our nation began to reckon with around uh, criminal justice reform, Um, there was a push for diversity, equity and inclusion. And I think neurodiversity is a part of that conversation that honestly is still not uh, at the forefront that it should be. Um, You know, again, the intersectionality, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so being able to work with with employers, right? I just did a talk with a foundation um, that brought together a group of maybe 30 arts organizations, um, uh, medical facilities, financial companies. And, um, you know, they billed me as a guy who was going to talk about disability. And I think everybody thought that it was just going to be a conversation about how to provide support for, um, you know, like folks with wheelchairs who were coming in the front door. And my conversation began around, you know, you are all employers. And part of the the way in which we are inclusive is by making sure, ensuring that we employ a diverse workforce. And part of that conversation is people who are neurodiverse um, have other kind of challenges. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about that a lot. And also coming out of COVID, where so many people have been working from home, there's a lot of resistance to going back to the office. And I think people have really recognized maybe some of their own challenges with certain environments and what actually works better for them. So maybe this is an opportunity for, for bigger conversation, you know, because of what we've been through when it comes to the workplace and neurodivergence. No, I think it absolutely, it absolutely is an opportunity. And, you know, a lot of what we've been utilizing now is what, uh, advocates have been fighting for for years, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been very interesting to see with a true sense of urgency how we've all been able to virtually stop on a dime mm-hmm. and change the way in which we experience school and work and a host of other things. Um, and in the best case, they're they're accessible. And, you know, as we enter this period where we, we are rethinking and redefining a lot of uh, the ways in which we interact in the world, I hope that inclusion remains uh, at the forefront of how we design those spaces. Yeah, me too. Well, I want to hear more about your work now um, as a a poet, a spoken word performer. How do you describe yourself? And can you tell us what that means and how you came to be <laughs> showing yeah. up that way? I'm a, I'm a spoken word poet. Uh, spoken perf- word poet. Okay. Or, or a performance poet. Mm-hmm. 
I uh, think I'd all, I think that I have always been a poet, um, even when I was very young and, and you know, didn't know the letters of the alphabet and couldn't spell very well. Um, I've always enjoyed language. Also, I was in special ed with, you know, a bunch of black boys and everybody wanted to be a, a rapper and an MC. And I was fortunate that a lot of my friends, I think, sort of recognized the latent ability to be a, a, a wordsmith that I didn't even recognize. Um, but it was once I got to college, my first semester at Middlesex County College, I was a part of an excellent support program called Project Connections. And uh, my counselor within my first week of class told me to just stop worrying about spelling and write, just write. And then we will deal with the spelling later. And I literally woke up in the middle of the night, you know, after that conversation and wrote my first poem. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I've been, I've been really thinking through recently is how I think so many of us are waiting for someone to sort of give us permission to be our whole selves. Mm. And when we're fortunate enough to be, you know, in a, in a, in a space where we uh, are, are nurtured and, su- and supported, sometimes we can, we can find that permission, give that permission to ourselves. But I think it is the, the power that many uh, of the adults have in the world is to be able to, to see something great within someone and say, go for it, you know, be who you want to be. Um, and so I, yeah, I began waking up in the middle of the night, writing my first poems. Uh, I remember going to Susan was my counselor, going to Susan with a stack of these poorly written poems and saying, I think I'm a poet. She said, I think you're right. And I remember her playing for me, uh, Allen Ginsberg's Howl online. And I've been a fan of the beats ever since. Mm. Um, and then she found a flyer and helped me to find my first open mic and while I was a college student, I was able to just connect with an amazing community of artists uh, here in central New Jersey and sort of throughout the tri-state area. Um, and that was ama- that was amazing. You know, it was amazing to be well known as a writer, um, even though I, I struggled with reading and spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of how I, I got started on this. And, and then it was, you know, I was also a college student. So I was wrestling with the dual identities of being an African-American man. Um, and then, a, you know, a person who 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 had dyslexia, you know, and, and was also just starting to begin to connect with a community of people who learn differently, connect with them in a real meaningful way where we really had community. And um, and so all of that came out in the art. You know, it all it all came out in my poetry. Now, I was when I was very, very young, I was a visual artist. So I could draw um, and I have a, a B.A. in math and a, I minored in fine art with an emphasis in painting. So the visual arts have always been there. But. Um, the writing only really happened once I hit about about 18 years old. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, 
six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And I'd love to know just kind of what you love about it, like the actual, what does it feel like to perform something uh, that you've written in that way? It's, I mean, it's, it's, I have a, a really good friend who's also someone that I collaborate with named Justin Wu. And I remember Justin telling me that when you do a performance poem, you are the writer, director, actor, and choreographer of a very small play, a very short play. So um, performance poetry pulls in just so many different forms of the arts. And then, and then what it allows for is just very, very, prof- hopefully very profound communication. Um, and yeah, I mean, even this, this workshop, this training that I did for this foundation, you know, and dealing with, you know, these different industry leaders, that was one of their comments was just how, how impactful the poetry was, you know, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it sort of speaks to the natural way in which many of us learn. We learn through through spoken word, you know, before Gutenberg's breakthrough and his technology. If you wanted to learn so- something, you had to have a conversation with someone. And actually, even the, the roots of, uh, of hip hop, your first MCs were griots in, uh, in West Africa. And the griots responsibility was to sort of be a walking library where they would in a very rhythmic way communicate the history of their people. Um, and so I, I, I believe and I aspire to live in that tradition. Um, and it feels great. It feels great. Plus, I'm also someone that really enjoys structure. So like knowing exactly what you're going to say, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's very, it's very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can see that. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm also thinking that a lot of people were exposed to the power the profound impact of uh, poetry of the uh, the spoken word 
through Amanda Gorman's uh, speech at the inauguration day. So has uh, that, I'm just wondering if people are more like, oh, we have to get Lederic now because, you know, because they want more of that in their world. Well, my phone started blowing up and actually I was sitting, I was sitting there on the couch with my fiance watching uh, Amanda Gorman do that incredible poem. I was so excited because my favorite time during all of the inaugurations is being able to hear the the poet. Mm-hmm. And so for them to select a, a young woman who's African-American and who was a performance poet and was also someone who, um, you know, has had challenges around speech and language. Um, it was it was an amazing experience to sit and watch her, you know, have this platform. And I'm che- just cheering along and all the social media, this, that and the other. And I, I hadn't I wasn't even aware that um, uh, understood had, I think, a. a a uh, year or two prior written an article about her and then mm-hmm. tagged an interview that they did with me at the bottom of that. So that started getting shared. Um, I, I was, I was blown away and I, you know, and I was really, really honored and, and, um, and I'm glad to see that uh, she was given that platform and, and I hope people were listening because her message was very, very powerful. Amazing. Amazing. So you wrote a poem in 2020 called Until Every Barrier Falls. Can you tell us about that poem and why you wrote it? So that poem, uh, uh, you know, in in 2020, we were celebrating the the 30th anniversary of the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act. And I knew the, the anniversary was coming up. And so I wanted to craft something that really paid homage to it. But it was also 2020. And so... You know, I had been actively out protesting and, and, you know, trying to make the world a safer place for all of us. Um, and so all of that energy sort of found its way into the poem. Um, I also wanted to create something that I, I thought shared and conveyed the, the beauty of uh, the disability rights movement and all the people who were involved in it um, and just paid homage to the, the advocacy that has uh, helped us to create to have the world that we have now. Well, so I, I'm going to put you on the spot and you can totally say no, but is there something that you'd like to share with us today um, before we wrap up our conversation, something you want to perform for us? Can, can I do that poem with a beer? I, I would love that. Okay. Yes, <laughs> totally. Okay. All right. Let's see. Um, this is for the ones who would not be trapped behind exclusions, shameful wall. And this is for the ones who will continue to push until every barrier falls. This is for every wounded warrior who came home and challenged our grateful nation to elevate its expectations. This is for the ones who blocked the buses, sat in the sit-ins, and crawled to the Capitol. This is for the protesters, the marchers, those Adapt angels with wheelchair wings who troubled the waters of their time so that this generation might live in a more inclusive now as I write this. All over America, monuments are falling and only questions stand atop each empty pedestal as I recite this. I hope an artist is listening and will respond with marble and bronze. But until then, Ed Roberts, Judy Human. This poem is for you. Let each line chase the light in your smiles and trace the contours of your commitment. Let these words salute those dedicated to the ideals that equality, 
sprouts from the branch of equity. Independence is the flower that grows from access, and freedom is rooted in the soil of advocacy. This is for the ones who have embraced the reality that humanity is both fragile and mighty. And when we ask for help, it is not a sign of weakness, but instead is an indication of our determination. However you navigate, it is legit. This is for those who read with their eyes, ears, and fingertips. This is for the minds that dance and details and the wide-eyed ones who remake the world with every thought they think. We are the river of innovation from which the whole world drinks. And who am I? I am a lover of words, left heartbroken by every spelling test. In school, my desk was in a classroom at the end of the hall, so this poem is for me too. Within me is the meeting of two movements. I am black and blue. My disability is hidden, and I am the descendant of those who could not hide. I am your neighbor, your countryman, one of the poets that our nation has produced. And here is what I know to be true. This world is not enough. And if this here is what we call normal, I say, let's be different. Let us on this day celebrate every shape, every color, every way. Let our actions commemorate the array of our being, build a future in service of the multitude, and let this century be the wilderness from which our better selves are born. Hmm. So good. Thank you for that. I got chills. That's beautiful. And what is it like to to perform it? Do you kind of feel it every time you share that? I I do. Um, you know, I I believe, and I was I was once told that poetry is about uh, showing and not saying. And so uh, there are images that come up in my mind as I go through each one of those lines. And if I'm doing my job well as a writer, then the audience is experiencing some of those images as well. Um, and there's a lot in there. There are a lot of different layers. Um, and then and my, my buddy, uh, Justin Wu, who I'd mentioned earlier, uh, Justin and I um, went to D.C. in October and recorded an amazing video that uh, just has, I think, very powerful imagery um, to help tell that story as well. Yeah. And listeners, I'm going to include a link to that on the show notes page so you can watch that video. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing that. Before we say goodbye, I know that you are working on a um, video course for parents, and I want to hear a little bit more about that and also just how listeners can connect with you. Yeah. So um, uh, within the, the the book that I co-authored, Empowering Students with Hidden Disabilities, we develop within there a framework for identity development. You know, I think one of the big challenges that a lot of our young people have is that we're, we're wrestling with a lot of stigma, you know, a lot of, a lot of shame. And so um, we identified some key stages that we think are, are necessary to help someone move away from that shame to a point where they can have pride. So it's a six part series in each one of the, the videos sort of uh, provides supports and uh, also gives assignments to help build up that pride, that positive self-image, as well as giving a strong foundation so that that young person can um, transition successfully into the adult world. Um, so th- I'm still working on it. Um, and what I would encourage everyone to do is just to go to my website, lederic.com, 
um, sign up for my newsletter. You'll see that right on the homepage. And I hope within the next month or two to have it to have it out. And then you'll see a link right there on the homepage um, with more details. That's super exciting. You're such a good, positive, you know, presence in in the world for our kids. You know, I think again, like you and and Jonathan, and you you guys are really trailblazers in so many ways, and it's so important for our young people to have you to look up to and to to see what it can look like and how you can really create the life that you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's a, a real compliment, and I'm and I'm hoping through your work and my work, we're also creating that next generation of amazing role models who are uh, going to continue pushing forward. Yeah, I, I believe that. Child by child, family by family. And um, Lederic, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's just been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much. Debbie, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. You can find links to all the resources my guests and I discussed on the detailed show notes page. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform, editing, production, and more. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for considering. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.